Ever wondered how a book gets made into a movie? Or how to master the art of cooking? Either way, we've got you covered with the Two Guys from Hollywood podcast. I'm Alan Nevins, a literary agent and talent manager. And I'm Joey Santos, a columnist and celebrity chef. On our podcast, we're going to be serving you a fresh perspective of the entertainment industry alongside our favorite celebrity guests. As we like to say, we don't dish, we serve. Listen and follow Two Guys from Hollywood on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you listen to podcasts. We'll talk at you soon. Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. Hello, everyone, and welcome back to Going for the Green, the Daily Fantasy Golf Show here on Daily Roto. My name is Davis Maddock, joined by Colin Drew. We are here for the Century Tournament of Champions, and uh, very, very excited to be back, Colin. Great article you had on DailyRoto.com. Got me feeling like I'm ready for a, a profitable 2020. Yeah, thanks, man. If you guys haven't seen it, um, at least the first half of it is free, and so anyone can check it out kind of laid the groundwork for a lot of things about GPP strategy in the PGA DFS space, kind of leaning on some data that I had gathered in the off season, putting that time off over swing season to good use, trying to set people down the right path for the fantasy golf season. So you can check that out at dailyroto.com slash golf, but really excited to be back here and, and shout out to Rick Gaiman, who was doing the golf betting on demand stuff on this stream. And we'll be continuing to do kind of a betting focused segment on the podcast each week, but You'll have Davis and I every week from now through the Tour Championship, breaking down the slates from a fantasy perspective, talking DraftKings, talking FanDuel. So should be a really good time. Should be should be a good time. Um, definitely a, a big... I, I'm definitely planning on doing a couple of things differently this year uh, in terms of strategy. And it's actually stuff that I started to implement towards the end of last year. But what your article really hammered home to me was... Just, just TTP. You don't like just, just TTP. Yeah, people are bad. People are, and, and it just, it, and it's always something I've known that people are bad. But when the data spells out so clearly that people are bad, it, it makes you feel even worse for like being bad. So the big thing I wanted to do with the data, I had no idea what it would would showcase. I thought it would represent our projections pretty well, just because Data Golf, who powers the Daily Road of Projections, does such a good job with them from a math perspective, but. Um, I did think that the field would be a little bit stronger than the data indicated. And then I was really surprised, especially as you moved up in stakes, that people actually got worse. Those were like some of the biggest takeaways for me. Because um, I was always trying to, you know, figure out if there's a balance between eating some of the chalk that's good chalk and um, maybe increasing projections for popular players because the market is like sharp from an efficiency perspective. And that stuff didn't really come to fruition. So, um, that stuff I'm going to try to be a little bit more aggressive on, I guess, throughout the course of the season. Uh, a lot of housekeeping notes to go through because it is the first podcast, the first tournament of the year. If you want to jump right into the Century Tournament of Champions, probably fast forward like a, a couple minutes, you know, two to five minutes. But the, um, you know, 2020 season, we've got a lot of stuff on the DFS product. If you guys were subscribers last year, you're going to be familiar with kind of the nuts and bolts of it if you're new. 
Um, we offer a few different things for fantasy golf and golf betting, all powered by Data Golf in partnership with Daily Roto. So you can get all this stuff at dailyroto.com. If you want to save 10%, you can get drop the promo code GOLF20 to save 10% off. And the fantasy golf and betting tools are all included there. On the betting side of things, we've got the Data Golf head-to-head betting tools, as well as the outright and top 20 tools, comparing odds from Data Golf to legal U.S. sportsbooks, a really good kind of quick snapshot. Um, I, I don't fire these blindly, but I think it puts you in a pretty good place as far as uh, setting the, the field and calculating edge from a betting perspective. And then the fantasy golf stuff, why don't you go into that a little bit? So, yeah, I mean, the, the fantasy golf stuff we have, one of, the, one of the big things that I'm planning on doing this year is just getting after the showdown slates. And one of the things that you wrote up in this article was uh, a very black and white explanation of how ROI works, which is that if you're just playing the main slates and you're, you're going in and you're expecting a 10% ROI, which would be a good ROI, by the way, over yeah. the course of the year, your profit potential would... Uh, wait, it multiply. It would. I mean, it would exponentially multiply if you're doing the same thing in all of the showdown slates and weekend golf slates as well. Like literally using uh, like the the same projections using very similar uh, processes. Obviously, we do not have the ownership projections. And uh, an, another thing is being able to play on Yahoo and FanDuel. So we talk specifically DraftKings salaries on this show because this show is uh it's in front of the paywall. We we do this because we we do this because we like you guys, but. All of the stuff that we have set up on Daily Roto has, you know, it's Yahoo specific projections, FanDuel specific projections, and ownership projections as well. Uh, and you know, we're going to talk about some of those things on this show. But the the, the real good stuff is behind the paywall. Yeah, absolutely. And you want to build as late in the week as possible. The ownership projections get close to final on Wednesday morning, and then if we have to do a Wednesday afternoon update, we do. Um, and then I kind of write up all my thoughts on Wednesdays with the PGA Pro Tip. Uh, trying to set what I think the best plays are more from a tournament perspective, kind of balancing both the projections and the the ownership. And um, the fantasy projections are in partnership with Data Golf, who provides them. The biggest change this year is that course fit is now more explicitly baked into the adjustments. Last year, we had like a sliding scale for course history, but course fit was kind of left up to the user. And Data Golf did a lot of work in their offseason as far as trying to understand the predictive value of different course fit elements at the courses on tour, be able to bake that in. So I'm pretty excited about that. As we go through the field, we'll kind of talk about some of those guys where course fit is a little bit stronger. And even if they don't necessarily have a course history here, it should set up for a good course. And then the optimizer has also been upgraded. If you use our optimizer for other sports, you're going to be pretty familiar with some of this stuff, but now have the ability to upload your own projections for fantasy golf. And so if you like to do your own tinkering, you know, your own version of projections, um, offline, you can upload those via a CSV. We've got shuffle and volatility, which are our daily roto diversity tools to help an MME give you a little bit more of a spread and balance. And I think we all understand, especially in these cut events, that golf can be very volatile. And so while somebody may be projected uh, for, you know, 60 fantasy points, the fact is there's, you know, a chance that they make the cut and they're going to put up, you know, 80, 90, 100. And then there's a chance they're going to put up like 20 if they miss the cut. So all of that stuff is tools that you can use to create better lineups in MME. Got maximum projected ownership constraints that can help ensure that all your lineups are pretty unique. And then one of my favorite features is the minimum thresholds where you can set kind of the, the minimum made cut percent or top 20% that you want on all golfers in your lineup. So I usually like to set that at like 15 or 20% T20 odds for MME just to make sure the golfers I'm playing, they might be trash, but they're not that trash. 
Yeah. Yeah. I mean, that is, that is actually a helpful point. It's just like, you know, make sure that you're not getting overexposed to like Sebastian Munoz or whatever. And that's, that's what, uh, that's what those tools are very useful for. I mean, the, the most useful tool for me is the maximum ownership constraint as we saw in uh, the, uh, the GBP strategy article, which is just that people are bad and you just, you just do not want to be playing golf chalk. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, you, you have to play some just because the, the nature of like ownership tends to lean more on, you know, the, the pricier guys and they're generally the favorites to win the event. So you can't just like, you got to use the full salary cap or close to it. Um, but I, I definitely think there are some good edges to be had. And, you know, we're going to get into the century tournament of champions, no cut event featuring kind of all the big winners from the 2019 season. A couple of guys chose to skip the event, but uh, we do have just over a 30-man field. Not the sexiest tournament to start off the fantasy golf season, but because it's been like a month since we last got to play, unless you were firing at the President's Cup, I, I mean, I feel like I'm going to end up uh, unloading anyways. I mean, of course, of course we're going to unload. There, there, there's no doubt. So are we, uh, are we ready to jam the Tournament of Champions? Yeah, if, you were, if you were listening, everyone right now, if you were just had this on the background, you're playing video games, you're watching the dog, you can snap back to attention now because we are ready to, uh, to jam in at the Plantation Course at Kapalua. Uh, they, they continue to play this event here. Uh, really one of the easiest courses on the tour, like so easy that Jordan Spieth can make birdies at this course when he makes it. Thank goodness he is not in the field this year. It's a par 73 at 7,518 yards. That sounds really long, sounds huge, but there are a ton of elevation changes that make it play a little bit shorter and it's a resort course like guys who are guys who are you know just out here on uh on vacation want to come and play this course so definitely keep that in mind yeah exactly and i I think that plays into it's easy easier too and maybe not as long as it sounds one is part 73 not part 72 or lower and then the fact that they can just pretty much hit driver freely and not expect to get into too much trouble shortens it as well like we talked about, the big change in our projections this year is that course fit is now explicitly baked into the rankings of projections that are available based on the work that Data Golf has done and on the Daily Rotor projections. Uh, the biggest thing here, I would say, is that it leverages a predictive approach versus a descriptive one. A lot of people who talk about weighted stat models and what matters at a course, they're just looking at things historically and describing what happened in that event, like so-and-so gained 45% of strokes on approach. But like that doesn't really matter unless you have those inputs to feed into a model and data golf stuff is all done from a predictive perspective. So if you want to peel back the layers on course fit, you know, they basically have individual player baselines. They have some strokes gain categories that feed into course fit. They have the course history. So how a player is actually done here and trying to weigh that appropriately. And then also looking specifically at driving distance, driving accuracy and some other stats and how those feed into the predictive power of trying to figure out who's going to perform well here. And at Kapalua, it is definitely a course where driving accuracy does not matter very much at all. Um, Bombers get a slight boost, but it's not even so much that driving distance is beneficial. It's that like lack of driving accuracy does not penalize you at all. So if anything, I would say this is a, a week where guys who gain like an edge via their accuracy 
are going to be penalized as much as anything else. And guys who are a little bit erratic are going to receive kind of a- yeah, this. Yeah, this is pitch and putt. This is this is uh, uh, or uh, our bomb and gouge. I guess is uh, is how the uh, the kids might say it. I I because I, I just think from historically tracking this event, and there are super low rounds out there. Like if I think last year Xander went, I think he shot a sixty three. In the final round, he was like he was ten under in the final round to come back. Like there, there are just very, very low rounds to be had out there. Yeah, and so like a good example um, would be Dustin Johnson. So walking through his metrics, they've got him with like plus one point two two strokes above baseline, um, and at, as far as like the field, and then gets another around point two strokes from strokes gained, plus point zero seven from course history, and then plus. 0.12 from course fit so that brings him up from like a, a plus 1.22 strokes game baseline to 1.6 and i think that shows like roughly the the impact that someone with a really strong course fit and a decent course history can have kind of like the maximum example um i would say the other kind of guy who i think throws maybe the bomb and gouge isn't like the ideal or the you don't have to be a bomber necessarily is patrick reed who's got a really strong course fit here as well and he's a guy that isn't like he's not a bomber, but he's also not super accurate off the tee. So he's kind of getting the benefit of not being penalized for his inaccurate plays this week, even though he's not necessarily, you know, the the prototypical bomber when people are well, talking he's, about Well, he's hot fire with his irons. That's that's his whole thing is when, when, when Reed gets the irons twirling, like he's just sticking everything to seven feet. Like that's his whole deal. And then you got some notable negative boosts. Uh, Paul Casey, Colin Morikawa, Matt Kuchar, Corey Connors were all guys that – saw some negative boosts as far as the course fit at Kapalua. Um, I think the first three names there were probably names that people would have expected when you think about guys who might derive some of their benefit from accuracy. Uh, but those are guys that yeah, we're maybe not going to be as keen on. I also want to say when we talk about this course fit, it's important to take the player's baseline into account as well. So just because somebody is a bad course fit does not mean that they're not in play. That for they're GFS. a bad play. Yeah. yeah, I mean, especially when you're talking about like a 30-man field at a resort course where everybody's going to make the cut. Right, I mean, yeah, exactly. And, and I mean, we saw last year leaderboards at this, like on DraftKings flipped because of some of the rounds the guys were having on Sunday. Like, so it just, it, I mean, that is probably the, the number one thing to know about this event. It is, it is a big variance fest. And I like something, something that I have definitely learned over my year. It's crazy. Like this must've been the first podcast that you and I ever did together a year ago, probably on freaking new year's day. We did this. Um, and I, I think that just game theory as it pertains to these tournaments where we have no cut, where the field is very small, is so much more important than just playing the best plays. Yeah, absolutely. Shout out to Ponta, who won this event last year for 50K, started off his year right. Noticed in his winning lineup last year, which obviously had Gary Woodland in it, had Xander, had JT, but he left 300 bucks on the table. And so um, that was what really able to hint, not just allowed him to win but if you look at the leaderboard in general behind him it was really clustered so you had like a five train dupe right behind him and then there was like a seven to eight train dupe behind that and then you had like one unique lineup and then like a, a 10 team train and so uh, and then you had some like 100 team trains that were kind of just a few spots back so I thought one of the sharpest things he did not not player selection like you know you stumble on the right players that that's awesome in the 30-man field but being able to create a unique build that enabled him to kind of capture the full equity of that $50,000 prize uh, 
really good strategy and definitely something we should be focusing on this week. Yeah, I mean, so I, I think before we start to talk about some of the individual plays, we should talk a little bit about strategy for this. Uh, the, the, the easiest way is something that we talk about for showdown a lot, NFL showdown, which is just maximum salary. I, I think I'm going with 49000 800 as my maximum salary, but the maximum ownership constraint, I, I mean, it's just because this is such a small, this is such a small pool of players. Um, like I, I think that, that the finding the right number for the maximum ownership is a little bit different. Yeah. So I would say, you know, this is going to depend what tournament you're playing on DraftKings. So if you're playing the largest field MME, then you really do need to be worrying about dupes because like duplicating the top prize with a hundred other people is just not worth that much, especially compared to the randomness in golf. If you're playing a single entry or three max, you probably still want some contrarian elements, but that's less about dupes. You're not really worried about someone having the exact same lineup as you there. You're just trying to capture kind of the best value um, in the risk reward compared to the, the upside. So like you said, the easiest way in MME is to leave salary on the table the second easiest way is in our optimizer set a maximum ownership filter. This could be something like 85 or 90% if you're um, playing with salary that is left on the table. And if you're using a full salary cap, maybe you set it at 75% or even lower. Um, and then I guess the other way I, I got, is, I got some very ugly lineups running even at, even at 80 earlier. And I think seeing those ugly lineups in your submission, like, I, I just think it's sometimes it's hard for people to submit like, like 15% Griffin Lanto. Yeah. I, I think, um, the other, I guess the other thing I was going to say is you might want to like decouple popular combos. That would be the other way to potentially do it a little more complex, um, but you could create groups that maybe like Ram and JT at the top, like Lando Griffin is going to be popular this week. I know you feel uncomfortable seeing him in there, but he's going to be one of the most popular guys under $7,000. And people really want to pay up for Ram and JT this week, given the bomber narrative, given how overall like talented they are. And so you could potentially decouple the popular, you know, Griffin paired with Ram or JT uh, combo and create a group to have kind of max one of those guys in your rosters. And that would be just another way that you could kind of try to differentiate some of your lineups. And like we said, like that's probably as important as picking the right golfers this week. Wow. We are, I mean, golf has just entered true galaxy brain when we start talking about, uh, you know, creating groups to exclude pot. Like I, I, I love it. Field, I love, right? I know. Yeah. I, I think it's good. I think that is, that's the kind of stuff that like someone who is to, if they just want to have fun, they want to throw in their 20 entries into the $3 and they're probably not a premium subscriber and they're just, you know, they're just here. So to learn, I like, I think that's useful stuff to know and to think about. So like a, a great example of that to me for like, for the way that I build and I would never do this cause I would be, um, I would, I would hate myself if this hit, but it'd be like max one of DJ or Cantlay because I know that those are two guys that strokes gained projection systems are going to be very hot on. And I actually think our ownership projection and granted it's going to change because it is Tuesday morning. I think we're a little bit light on Cantlay and DJ. Yeah. And I would, I would say generally if, if you're looking for like super golf nerds uh, you know, we're not necessarily those guys. I know we both love golf and we'll kind of get into it on a week to week basis throughout the season, but we definitely approach things more from a DFS perspective. Um, I would say I am a better DFS player than I am a golf analyst. And so I try to leverage the work from data golf um, and our projections at daily roto to 
kind of solve the the golf side of the equation and and try to use the the DFS mentality to kind of try to create some income this year. I'm a better I'm better at talking about DFS than I am at playing DFS or <laughs> or uh, at actual golfing or analyzing golfing. We're gonna, but we're gonna change that this year though. I mean, last year was still it was still I actually was a not a bad golf year for me because um it turns out that like people are. People are bad at main slate, but people are really bad at showdown. And like that, that was good. That was good for me in golf this last year. But let's go ahead and start. Uh, let's just talk about playing the best plays. We're going to uh, the five most expensive guys John Rahm, uh, 11.4, JT, 11.2, Xander, 10.6, DJ, 10.1. And uh, I'll go ahead and include Cantley in there at 9.8 because his win expectancy is actually third highest per day to golf. Who's your Who's your favorite spend? If If I was making you, I know I know you would never lock button anyone. That's so 2015. But if I said you had to lock one of these guys, who would it be? Yeah, I mean, it, like it's a coin flow between Rom and JT, and so I guess the easy answer for me is JT because I can leave an extra 200 bucks on the table, and right, you know, maybe more people click in Rom or they fill up the salary cap. So. Um, a great way to leave money on the table is to build a, a team that you love with Rom and then just X them out at the last second slide GT in there. You've already got some differentiation with that lineup. Uh, I, I think our projections have Rom a, a little bit higher. It, it's like a coin flip to me though. And both of these guys are immensely talented. I'm trying to reconcile the ownership on them. Got them just above 25% right now. Wouldn't shock me if they hit like 30 each. I think the fact that people are pretty hot on both of them um, is going to keep it like in check. I don't see him getting to like 40% or higher. Um, but I'm curious if people will like spend up on Rom or JT or if there will be some people who decide to like avoid, you know, DJ and Xander. So actually, um, while, uh, while we're, we're talking about these studs and we were talking about groups a little bit, what do you think about, um, men wanting like your studs? So like a a rule that I've played with in golf before, and I I don't know if I've ever submitted like this, but it's just so that you don't get too much spread is just men one, John Rom, JT, Patrick Cantlay, Xander, like, like, and you're basically saying that you're capturing, 50% 50% of the win, the projected win equity with that group? I think on a, a standard tournament week, that might be an appropriate play. Um, I think the reason I pause is like there is such a small field this week and leaving some money on the table is important as far as differentiation. And I think like, you know, right now I've got 97% of the lineup starting with at least one of Rom, JT, Xander, and DJ. So I think right. like one of the ways to create differentiation is to like buy is to get off that. Yeah. But I, I think like that type of idea in general would be an interesting one for like a, a different week. Cause I just think what, well, I mean, and this is, this is true when you, I, I think that not everyone does things this way, but I prefer to do whether it's NBA, whether it's MLB, like it just, I prefer to do everything in one run. I know a lot of other, like a lot of our subscribers will do like four different runs of NFL and they will, they will combine it all into their CSV. But I like just the way I do it, I prefer to have everything in one run. And an issue that you have with that is you, you're just, you just get a, a truly massive spread. And that's something obviously that you're going to see with like a, a 20 man pool. If this is, you're just going to get so many guys in between 10 and 25%. Yeah. Yeah. I think that that's a fair statement. I think you can like, we have the volatility feature too. So that can also kind of be one of those things that can like decluster 
some of the lineups but um as far as like the players in this range i mean they're they're all great like like rom jt xander are going to be the highest owned players i would expect above ten thousand dollars i think they're the best plays and it's the type of thing where they can score really well from a dk perspective um they probably don't have to win the event if they're inside of the top five and they're contending and they're scoring from dk and one of these other balanced golfers wins then it could be the type of thing where yeah you, you don't have to have them all um they, they don't have to win the event to pay off their salary if a value guy kind of comes first and a value guy comes second. Are you looking to be lighter on any of these $9,000 guys, you know, whether it be Casey, whether it be, um, I mean, I, I, I think that Woodland seems like a guy who's just going to be big, big, massive chalk. And uh, I, I think we have officially reached blowback on Ricky Fowler season. I, I think that, I think that this is going to be one of the first years that, Fowler more often than not comes in at a value at his projected ownership as opposed to a negative value. Yeah. Um, yeah. That, that'll be, that'll be interesting. I mean, he has, so, I feel like he has such like brand equity that he'll, he gets ownership regardless, but um, I would say, I think the way that data golf has things ranked is fair. I, I personally can sit, will probably flip DJ and Cantley in the, my runs. Um, based on the old Drewby net, but I think it's, it's pretty fair. And in their top 10, I think is pretty reflective of what the top 10 should look like. Uh, the guys who seem like they're going to get the lowest ownership are also guys that seem like they're maybe not the best course fit. So Paul Casey, one of the lower owned guys, I might have a little bit more of him than the projections would kind of dictate. Um, and then you have like Kuchar as well, like not a great course fit, but I think the, the fact that the ownership is dropping so much and, um, is it makes it like a, a time where I can still buy despite the fact that it's not a good course fit because you are getting a little bit of leverage there. Okay, we got to talk about the guys that the projections absolutely hate, but are, I mean, Cameron Champ coming in at a very high projected ownership and the, uh, the projections certainly do not think that he belongs there. Uh, I, I mean, I, I, of course, tend to agree with the projections because, uh, I mean, Champ just went through like an eight month stretch of being like one of the worst golfers on tour. And uh, I mean, Brendan Todd won on the swing season, right? So like, that's the only reason he's here. He won, he won when, uh, you know, 99% of the world was not even paying attention to the PGA tour. So his ownership is a little bit less, but what are you doing with the guys who just project so bad? Um, so, so champ specifically, I guess we'll see where the ownership lands. Um, I'm probably not Xing players out of my player pool as much as I am balancing the ownership of the rosters. So even if Cam Cam Champ might be like a a slightly negative EV play, um, I still think you can make like a a plus EV lineup that has him if you're differentiating in other spots. And with a 30-man field, I would probably take an underweight approach to wherever Champ's ownership lands. I would say that when you look at the, the fantasy projections that we have on Champ from a course fit perspective compared to excluding course fit and course history he actually gets the fourth highest boost in the field uh, relative to his individual baseline so it is a a course that profiles decently for him Um, from that perspective it's just the the $8,200 price tag um, that I guess is maybe a little bit inflated but the field this year is not that strong so we're not talking about like a a gang full of world beaters that are priced right by him and so because of that um, I probably am a little bit higher on champ than the, the baseline projections are. 
Really? So I, I, I was kind of thinking that it's so hard to find out, find like underweight stances or fades in such small fields that I would just not argue with the projections on this one at all and just be like, you know what, if I'm going to get 6% Cameron Champ and 4% Brennan Todd, I'm just not fighting that at all. Yeah. Uh, I think that's fair. So I, in the off season, I had kind of back tested all of our projections that I wrote up in that article. And um, I also kind of layered in salary based expectations and uh, Vegas odds. And I was able to get things to be like a little bit stronger than just the, the default projections by including some metrics um, like negative coefficients for ownership, but then some positive coefficients for salary and for Vegas odds. And so uh, that stuff has champ a little bit higher than where he is in data golf's stuff. And um, it, even though the ownership's high, that, that concerns me a, a bit. Um, but I would play champ over Brendan Todd. And I, I do have champ a little bit higher than we do. Yeah. I mean, I think that, I think that that stuff is fair. Uh, some of these other guys is from the mid range. I think that um, our, our data set continues to have a hard time with Matthew Wolf and Colin Morikawa. It, it really like so data golf stuff really likes Morikawa doesn't particularly like Matthew Wolf but their results as young professionals have been they've been pretty similar and I so a, a position that I would feel comfortable being higher than data golf on and this is surprising no one listening to this podcast of course but I I would feel comfortable boosting Matthew Wolf a little bit higher than he is in the projections right now yeah um I think that's that's interesting and I think it's fair like I understand I think when you when you talk about the fit it definitely is see, like you're talking about courses that favor bombers and penalize people for being accurate or at least don't let them receive the benefit of being accurate and um, that would kind of draw like a pretty clear line between Wolf and Morikawa but um, I guess that's where I think the the fit stuff sometimes does get overblown and so um, I would say Wolf data golf has right now with like close to maybe the 10th best fit in the field. And Morikawa is like the 10th worst fit in the field. But when you actually, even when you increase Wolf's projection to account for that and you decrease Morikawa's, it still has Morikawa as the better play. So um, I, I think I'm still going to ride with data golf on that one. Um, I mean, I'm certainly not fading Morikawa by any means. It's just that it's just that like, but, you know, again, this is like people are bad at people are bad at fantasy is just that Matthew Wolf seems to me like a better like a like a good fit for this course because accuracy is not going to get punished that much and distance is going to be like big time rewarded. Yeah, and I think he's a good fit, but he's like a, a worse player, like not right? a very good golfer. Right. Yeah. yeah. So, <laughs> um, you know, he, has, he has had like upside. Right. And he, he can score from a DK perspective. So I'm not dismissing him entirely as a golfer. Um, and I think like this, the stuff I was looking at, like might've boosted him like three spots and projections, but still has him, um, kind of a clear notch below Morikawa. Um, yeah. yeah. So these, these next group of guys are projected at like just very, very low ownership, Kisner, Reby, and Na. And because they are projected at such low ownership and the way that I'm running my constraints, I'm, I'm almost certainly going to be like very high on them because it's just, I think I do. I think it's more important to be in like on um, low owned guys than it is to be on, you know, the best plays and particular Reby to me is like, uh, you know, he just is a good PGA tour golfer. Yeah. And I, I totally agree with that take from you. I, I think the fact that they are that low owned is way more beneficial than the fact that they are not 
good course fits. And I think like Kisner and Revy are the two worst course fits in the entire field. But when you're talking about ownership, that it's like 10% versus 30% for some of these guys, like it doesn't, it doesn't matter that much. Like it's not like they're like playing 800 yard holes here and so if these guys get hot with a putter like they can contend and yeah all you got to do is make some 18 footers like that's just true of any golf course yeah so like i i definitely agree um i think these guys are some of the best dfs plays in the field even though they're not like i mean they're not good fits they're not good profiles the ownership discount is so extreme at least as far as how we have it projected that i would want them in lineups and i'd want to take overweight stances on them i think the the only kind of pause is if you're trying to like you want to play multiple in the same lineup if i'm hand building i'm probably picking like one of these guys for each three max team versus like putting kisner Revi, and not into like the same lineup yeah so this range also includes two of my favorite plays in the entire pool dylan fratelli 7300 killa keith we we touted four rounds of scoring from killa keith that's like uh that's like the longest standing narrative in uh in daily fantasy golf is getting four rounds of him to try and get eagles even though no, the it, bermuda the bermuda keith's the longest in narrative oh it's true is this bermuda grass i don't yeah. even know yeah, yeah see there you go putting putting grass uh putting splits on the grass type is like honest to god it is my favorite it is my favorite narrative that i hear on golf podcast because i'm just like the players probably believe it's real like when when dylan fratelli came on the take cast he was like oh yeah no that's a real thing but he thinks fratelli thinks it gives him an edge because he grew up in south africa and then went to go play in texas so he as he he played a ton of golf in his formative years on different types of grass. So I don't know, maybe it is a thing. I, I, it's one of the things I definitely believe it's a thing. And I also think it's like super inflated as far as how people handle it and how they talk about it. And I think a, another kind of case where people are looking at things in small sample, they're not really reviewing the predictive power. We know putting is volatile anyways. So yeah, it definitely makes sense that guys who grow up on different types of, of grass are more comfortable with different types of greens, whether it's POA or Bermuda or whatever. But it, it also could be something that, I mean, these are professional golfers that have played on all sorts of different types of grass. And um, it's something that can be very you know receptive to small sample sizes where you're going to put good on some events, like regardless of the, the grass type and that stuff is going to make it look like you have splits when it could just be volatility. Yeah, I, and I mean that is uh, that <laughs> that's DFS in a nutshell. Is you you think it you think it's something, and turns out it's actually nothing, even if it looks like something for a whole year. That's it's still not enough time to know. Uh, okay, so now going into the going into the true punts. Uh, actually, I want to start at the very bottom here. Are you going to play Martin Trainer or Jim Herman at all? Um, I will definitely not be playing Martin Trainer. I, I think Jim Herman is like, no, I'm probably not going to. I mean, I think Jim Herman's like, uh, uh, Martin Trainer is like totally off the map for me. Zero percent. What chance. event did these guys win? What event did Martin Trainer win? I, I, I mean, I, I, I literally don't know. I literally don't know either. Let's yeah. Look it up right here. Old Martin Trainer, OWGR page. I, okay, I'll go look up what Jim Herman won. Dude won the Puerto Rico Open, and then you want to hear what he's been doing recently? I mean, I'm sure he's just been like just pl- playing on the web Phoenix tour Open or something. In Japan, Dunlop Phoenix Open in Japan was his last event. 
and that was miscut. And then before that, miscut, 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 WD, miscut, sixty-six, miscut. He has not finished inside the top forty since the the win last Puerto Rico Open. So so. Jim Herman won. Jim Herman like could play golf though. The, the Barbasol, but his results. I mean, he got a T thirty five at the RSM Classic in the swing season. Yeah. So I'm. I would say like MME. Like maybe he enters the player pool because you can leave a lot of salary on the table if he's in your lineups and he has no ownership. So you could kind of play some other stuff there. Um, but no, I, I'm definitely not playing trainer. I'm probably not playing Jim Herman. Uh, the hardest thing for me is, is what to do with Lanto Griffin, who is the best value for us under $7,000, a range where you do want to leave some salary on the table. You need to play some guys from this range. But right now, I've got him projected at 26% ownership, which is um, pretty hefty when you're talking about punts. I don't know if that's like can come to fruition. And in, in sometimes like these punts, like people tout them up, but they don't really click them into the lineup. So that's what I'm struggling with. But my early thought was to create like a max one of Lanto, JT, and Rom rule. Um, I mean, I think I think max one of anyone projected over ten percent down here. So that means uh, Adam Long as well. And I bet I bet that uh, G Mac gets there as well when when we get an update. I, I would think that G Max. Um, uh, I, I would think that his ownership projection, and he would also actually, we have we have not talked about this yet, but uh, the the I, I anti data here, I like to I like to use more short term form on the slider bar than the data golf presets. I know that's I know that's uh that's very anti data, but I and I think that G Mac would look better in that if you pulled the the short term bar to uh to like fifty as opposed yeah. to thirty three, which is the preset. And that is one of the great features, I think, of the projections that we have. So there's a custom slider if you want to look at things from more from a long-term perspective or from a short-term perspective. Um, and I think there are different use cases for, for doing that. Like if, if guys have come back from, from injury, um, you know, we're going to have like Graham Dillette and Kevin Chappell type players later in the season. You're going to want like to care less about their two-year history when they took like a year off. And you're going to want to care more about kind of how they've been trending and um, there might be other cases where like guys are newer on tour that you feel like the, the short-term form or the younger players where short-term form might be a little bit more indicative than the long-term stuff for this specific event. I think that's risky, especially with a player like GMAC, just because most of these guys, the last event they played was December 7th. And uh, that's a month ago. And some of them did play at the president's cup, but uh, not a traditional stroke play event. So you kind of don't know what like the short-term form is like. And, and a lot of these guys weren't, logging tons of reps during the swing season in the Asian, you know, swing. So um, I guess I, it just seems like a little too cute to try to get custom this week. But as we get into like March, April, I start to think about that stuff more. Yeah. Um, so that's, uh, that's, that was the century tournament of champions podcast. Yeah. If you guys want to join daily Roto this season, we've got obviously the great betting tools and fantasy stuff that data golf provides us. I'll be writing up a pro tip each week. We've got ownership projections, which are really important if you're trying to play PGA DFS tournaments. And we've got that free strategy article at Daily Road if you want to check it out. Um, if you do decide to sign up, you can enter the promo code GOLF20 to save 10% off your subscription. We've got a monthly offering for, I think, 25 bucks a month and then an annual offering as well. Uh, should be a fun season. If this event isn't the one for you, next week with a full cut should be a good one too. And we'll be back every Tuesday on the Fantasy Sports Network with Going for the Green. 
Yeah. And uh, I mean, I guess normally we talk about betting a little bit at the end of the show and I, I clicked over and uh, I don't know if FanDuel and DraftKings are just being like super kind to people this week to get them back in or if Data Golf just has a big divergence from their numbers than usual, but they have... Uh, I, I'm. They have eight plus EV bets on FanDuel out of a 30-man field, and 10 plus EV bets on DraftKings out of a 30-man field to, to just to win outright. So that is pretty interesting. Yeah, I think the the sports books I think have pretty short odds on all of the the top end players, and so if you are looking to punt with the long shots, you can definitely get some some good prices. I think. Our boy Lanto Griffin that we were talking about, he's 151 at DK Sportsbook. He's only 101 at FanDuel. And so that's one of the other things about the betting tools. They do let you shop around to see the best prices. And there are consistently very different prices in the golf betting markets. So um, I would recommend trying to always choose where you can get the, the best price. And um, DK Sportsbook looks like they've kind of got some of the best prices in the field this week. Yeah. Uh, also, are you, uh, are, you, are you joining into the one and done? Are you doing it? Um, I don't know. I haven't decided yet. So Gup's Corner one and done. It was a great thing. We did it last year. I know we talked one and done picks uh, quite a bit and well, it's single entry this year. So I got to figure out if like the, the 50 bucks is enough to get me to log in every week or if I'm just going to be punting it off. But um, I do think if you're playing one and done that, you know, we had profitable with our three entries, we were profitable with like a segment based approach last year. And so um, I think some of the ways that you can do things this week, you know, basically over the course of the season, you're never going to want to take somebody who's outside of the top 40 in the world golf rankings. And so you're trying to balance those rankings and when you're going to use those players. And this week with the no cut event, you're kind of getting some guaranteed paychecks from these guys. And you're also getting some higher win equity given the small size of the field and the fact that it lacks some depth. So I think some of the guys that I would think about this week would be kind of the the second tier players who are still live to win. Um, someone like a, a Patrick Reed, someone like a Colin Morikawa um, would be the type of players that I might be looking at this week. Yeah, I, I, I Morikawa was the guy because I, I, as much as I love him, I don't think I would ever use him unless I was drawing dead in a later segment. So this seemed like a good spot for him. Yeah. And I think, you know, the, there are different elements with the strategy there and, and, and it can be dynamic as things go on. So when you're starting out the season, you're live for like the overall prize and, and that's awesome. Yeah. And if you pick up a couple early wins, then there is an opportunity to then use some of the more skilled Better players guys. or the high purse events in the first segment and yeah. try to capitalize on that first segment. Whereas you like, if you punt it off in the first segment and your guys are just doing terrible then you're going to want to save up some of those top end players for the majors that happen in segment two and three. And so that stuff that we'll, we'll be able to talk about on the podcast each week from a strategic perspective. So I'm entered, I'm in it. Uh, you, if you were listening to this uh, before the start of the century tournament of champions, you have time left to do so as well, but I would hurry and do it. And uh, we wish you good luck this week. Of course, make sure to head over to dailyroto.com, check out the projections and the tools, and we will be back next week. Build digital-first customer relationships with Salesforce Digital 360. Connect every marketing, commerce, and digital experience on a single platform. Innovate fast with easy-to-launch sites, campaigns, and apps. That's more relationships, more revenue, more return, and more success. Salesforce Digital 360. Hear from our customers at sfdc.co slash digital360.
Hey everyone, it's Michelle Williams, and I love being able to share my story with you on my podcast, Checking In with Michelle Williams, where my guests and I, we get real as we share the ups and downs of our mental health journeys, and I'd love for you to join me. Hey, it's going to be your church and your turn up. So listen to Checking In with Michelle Williams every Tuesday, a part of the Black Effect on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.